a happy and healthy new year to everyone out there as a listener of the Chris Ham podcast. As we turn over a new year and a new decade, I'm going to make a big push in 2020 to try and grow this podcast. So please, if you like my podcast, I'm going to ask you to take three simple actions. One, rate and review me on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, number two, engage me directly and give me feedback. If you aren't a personal friend, feel free to send me a message on Twitter at my handle, Chris N. Ham. And uh, number three is please tell three friends or family members who listen to podcasts about my podcast. So, so I have listeners in the US, Norway, Portugal, Jamaica, Spain, and Italy. I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I'm committed to continue to crank this out. Hello and welcome to the Chris Ham Podcast, episode 37, the Monday of President's Day. Um, I wanted to acknowledge some housekeeping items. Uh, This show has been for several months coming out Saturday and occasionally on Sunday, but for the foreseeable future, at least until football season, we are going to aim for an early week release, probably on Monday. Uh, Also, once again, my wife Jen is due with our second child in about three weeks and uh, three and a half weeks. But as many of you probably know, once you get to this stage, it can really be any day now as 37 weeks is considered full term. And uh, if you are if you're wondering, um, Jen went into labor five days early with our oldest Eloise and delivered four days before the due date. Um, Take it for what it's worth. I don't know the data. And when we have our next appointment. I attend with her OB, I will ask. My gut feeling, and it has been from the beginning, is that this kid is coming early. Um, we were given a, a number of where the baby's head is as far as being down, and it is really on the verge of, of uh, her dilating. Um, and I say sometime during week 39, which is really after the 38-week mark, I think this kid's going to be here. So kind of like, you know, I'm 38 years old, but this is the 39th year of life, and when it culminates, I turn 39. Um, I say it's going to be during the week, during week 39, but really 38 week and change. It's amazing how many people, including me, have a hard time with this concept, but take my prediction with a grain of salt. I also thought the second was going to be a boy and it's another girl. So the reason I bring up this expected due date, uh, the Chris Ham podcast will go on, but depending on the labor and delivery timing, it might affect the release schedule and you might have a shorter few podcasts as we adjust to life as a family of four. So one thing I'm going to do is gather up all of my rants, hot takes, burning questions, the newly branded pop-off segment, and I'm going to gather them up and release them in aggregate in one or two episodes. Um, so that's going to come around the time when, when life is getting a little crazy. Uh, today is President's Day, as I stated. I loathe this president with a burning passion, as I'm very open about. Uh, nonetheless, I've been alive for six presidents, and I use that term very loosely on my lack of respect for the orange, little-handed, fat, animal toupee buffoon. But this day is less significant to me regardless of my political sentiments. On this day, 13 years ago, I met my wife, Jen. And I have officially known her for over a third of my life, which I wrote in a recent card. I wrote in my social media post earlier, and I'm sharing on this podcast. I think it's awesome to think about the concept when it comes to sharing time and memories with someone you love. 
And to put into context in 2008, which was our first Valentine's Day, uh, less than a year after we, we first met, I had known her less than 4% of my life. And now it's over a third. So we're coming off a, a quick overnight to a destination about 90 minutes away up the Connecticut coast over this past weekend. Uh, this episode is going to reflect a bunch of things that happened on that trip. Uh, but overall, we tried to get one more vacation in as a family of three plus a dog. So I'm going to start going into that trip. Um, I will then talk about a deep philosophical and spiritual thought that was sparked by a TV series I started watching. Uh, hit on some opinions around the Democratic the Democratic primary and end with my newly branded popping off segment. So buckle up. Here we go. So Jen Eloise and I, we hopped in the car on Saturday afternoon around 1.30 uh, local time. We got up to our destination uh, just after 3, close to 3.30, which is a great little beach town on the Long Island Sound uh, on the Connecticut coast. So we started going up there when Jen was pregnant the first time, and this was our actually our fifth time up there. So we made good time, and it started off... Uh, on a less than ideal note, as we request, as Jen had requested early check-in, which she usually does, especially when we're going someplace with a pool, um, but we did not get it. Um, and <laughs> they literally got a room, you know, that was guaranteed by 4 p.m. I think we, we checked in around like 3.55. And there's nothing like seeing other couples and families check in with their rooms, ready to go as we sat there in the lobby with the rambunctious toddler, uh, a 50-pound dog, uh, Bruno, who was whining in the lobby because he was thirsty and desperate for water. And why was he desperate for water, you might ask? Well, because five years into having him, riding in cars regularly, he acts as if he's going to the puppy mill every freaking time he gets into a vehicle. You know, he's got, I don't know if it's, if it's PTSD or whatever it is, but he's gotten marginally better, but he still shakes, he drools buckets, he often pukes all over the back of our SUV, so therefore, he gets dehydrated. So he was uh, jonesing for water, whining the entire time we're in the lobby. Finally, we get into our room, which was right on the second floor, not too far from the elevator, but not right next to it, with beautiful marina views. So things all of a sudden were looking a little bit better. So the first order of business before our 7 p.m. dinner reservation was swimming in the nice indoor pool. And uh, their outdoor pool was still open, also superheated right next to it. And uh, open as well. Um, but the one dilemma we had, which I ignored as we planned the trip, uh, was the hotel is, while being dog friendly, um, you know, they, they supply treats and, and dog beds and everything else in the room. But they have a policy that you can't leave a dog alone in the rooms. And the caveat is a bit puzzling to me. You know, why not have a dog wing of the hotel where if you're if you are a guest and you bring your dog... You might have to put up with some animal sounds, but they have this no dog in the room policy. And I don't know how the hell you go on a trip that way. Um, you know, our dog, who has literally barked probably a half a dozen times in the last three or four months total, decided to bark incessantly when we went down to the pool because as a dog like him, he doesn't realize that the whole is a that the hotel is a communal space and the sounds of dogs and people walking up and down the halls is just gonna happen. And he had a, had a few barking outbursts. The bellhop found us at the pool to tell us. Uh, and the concierge was not too happy and left a displeased message on Jen's voicemail as we were at the pool enjoy, just with Eloise just enjoying the pool. And we had to spend the rest of the time at the pool in shifts. You know, Eloise is just obsessed with the water at this point. 
Um, she has her bathing suit. She has her floaties on. So Jen had to finish out the shift while I tested the the noise around Bruno around our our, our hotel room. I, I put on the TV. Um, tried to walk down the hall to see if he was going to bark. He had stopped barking, but nonetheless, our our pool experience was kind of uh, cut short. Uh, eventually, I went back down, relieved Jen. Jen came up for a while, and then the the, the hotel uh, pool experience ended. And um, we tried to move the dinner reservation up. Uh, I had the idea to keep the TV on uh, with Bruno in the room, assuming that that would distract him from the hallway noise. But they only had one table available near the bar. Uh, that was earlier than seven. And with a three-and-a-half-year-old, no thanks. So we ultimately had to to cancel the dinner reservation at the nice restaurant opt for room service. And they had a quote-unquote special Valentine's Day menu, which means about... 10% menu item premium, less items that seem shittier without the value of a, of a burger or, or, or the basic items that are, that are on our room service menu. So we ordered as if we would at the restaurant and got a couple Shirley Temples that turned out to be uh, seltzer with grenadine. And an hour later, they came up and brought us all this food um, and they tack on a 20% service fee. And the food to me was lukewarm and not as good as, as if we ate at the restaurant. And I don't think it was as good as the other two to three times that we ate uh, the meals themselves. So um, how much was the bill, you wonder? Well, for two adults and a toddler, uh, or whatever you would consider at least this stage, preschooler, 200 bucks all in. And uh, so it was a little lackluster as far as the meal. Uh, the best part of the meal in the night was consumed when Eloise went to sleep around 8.30 p.m. We got this chocolate pie with vanilla gelato, which is like a chocolate croissant meets a fried Oreo meets a churro, as Jen put it. Um, and we ate it, and Jen and I had a nice talk as we watched uh, A Burning Fire. Now, fireplaces are a feature in the room, and that same bellhop who reprimanded us mildly for leaving Bruno in the room set up uh, the fire for us right before dinner. Uh, his name is Bobby Brown, by the way. No relation to Whitney Houston's former boo, at least to my knowledge. No joke, Bobby Brown. And um, that night, Eloise, Jen, and I, we, got, we all got pretty, pretty shitty sleep, the room temperature was a bit too hot. The fireplace in the room seemed to dry out uh, the room and it infected Eloise's uh, upper respiratory issue, which was lingering from a cold that she had last week. And freaking Bruno would bark as if we had ninjas breaking into her room at every floor creak or elevator guest or staff member walking by. We had neighbor neighbors that somehow were like some like 20-something-year-olds that were just making noise. That, that, that's, that, that's how you know you're getting old, Jen, as Jenna put it, as we were talking about that driving back. The next day and uh, the next morning we went out to breakfast at a diner about 10 minutes away. Uh, decent food, good, not great, but I had a very mixed demographic to put it one way. And I don't mean a, a ton of cultural diversity. I mean a range across this political spectrum, skewing more right than part of the country that, 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 we, that we're used to living in. And uh, you could feel it in the air. And this was confirmed by the presence of Fox News on TV. So we made it home in good time, took a nap. Um, for about three hours each. Uh, and then we went to get groceries and the store was empty, which was awesome. Uh, it was like we, we won some kind of a, a prize to come shop at a grocery store with like 10 other people. And uh, driving around uh, that night on uh, it was Sunday night, uh, 6.30 felt like midnight. 6.30 p.m. felt like midnight, given President's Day weekend where a lot of our area just was, was just away someplace. So the overnight itself was man, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It was great to spend quality time with Jen and Eloise, uh, with baby number two coming any day now. So, 
philosophical supernatural commentary uh, up next. So in general, I think uh, these premium cable networks historically have put out some phenomenal TV series. Now, a lot of people opt to boot out cable for streaming services such as Netflix or Amazon or Hulu. But I think there's this room for, for everything. Uh, you know, I, I love Netflix. I think it's a great streaming service with a lot of good ton- content for kids, for adults, documentaries, and so on. But I think HBO and Showtime have produced some of my favorite series the last two decades. Um, shows from The Wire to Breaking Bad to The Curb Your Enthusiasm, which are unequivocally my top three. But then, show, you know, greats like The Sopranos uh, and Homeland as well, to name a few. Even shows like The Shy, the, the, the new Chicago-based show on Showtime. I mean, I find a lot of good shows are on uh, are on these networks. And, and one HBO show that I started watching that uh, premiered this year has been The Outsider. Um, what a treat this has been. Now, I don't want to spoil it for you, so I'm going to be careful about what I say. But warning, spoiler alert, because I'm going to reveal some things. Now, Jason Bateman uh, acts in it and produces it. Um, the show plot you think is going to go one way, but then it goes an entirely different route after the first couple of episodes, and it hits on a supernatural or paranormal element. Now, a lot of spirituality as a topic, let's, let's take a step back here, is rooted in questioning if there's a heaven and if there's a God or a higher power signifying a good energy. You know, let me go on the record and say that I believe in God, you know, and, and in an upcoming episode, I will tackle the subject that I get a sense backed up, is backed up by some studies that is that it's a badge of honor to be an atheist um, in younger generations, Gen Z, millennials, even some of the, the, the younger Gen X people. And they see as, you know, viewing some some uh, something bigger than, than, than what we can intellectually understand as some as some foolish thing in, in a lot of circles. You know, like, like there's some kind of indictment on education and reasoning to, to say that there's God or to, or, or to believe that there's God. Um, so I believe in, in God and in my adult life, I moved somewhere from agnostic to very spiritual. And uh, I'm a Catholic. Um, I actually went through my sacraments when my older daughter Eloise did um, over the last uh, three years or so. But I'm not dogmatic. All right. I think there's certain traditions and rites that are that are special, but I'm certainly, uh, you know, I'm certainly someone that, that believes more in, in spirituality rather than than, than organized religion. Um, you know, at, at least has a governing way of life for me. But uh, you know, I I am certain that something exists for reasons I will get into in later episodes. That's beyond myself. Um, however, uh, and, and I think that force is generally good. However, as time goes on. I also think uh, there's room to consider what we coin as the devil or Satan as existing as well. And I know that's a really controversial thing to say um, and a really kind of scary thing to even fathom. But the outsider takes this concept of Satan and shows in a slightly exaggerated, more conspicu- conspicuous manner how it would manifest in real life with people, how it would affect people. In a negative way and cause them to do just horrible things uh, and just be kind of, you know, in a lot of ways affected out of nowhere. And it made me think 
um, you know, it made me think. And what it did is it made me think about these inexplicable heinous events that have happened in our existence, uh, even in recent in recent uh, news or memory, that go beyond an ability to intellectualize the emotional internal turmoil bordering on psychosis that somebody can go through and take it to a level beyond that, to full-on sociopathic psychosis. It's the kind of shit that goes beyond a, you know, be a radicalized white supremacist uh, mass shooter, an angry ISIS-driven militant, or even a serial killer abused throughout childhood. You know, I mean, as horrible those things are, um, and and those events can that that can be uh, caused by those people, you can some ways like intellectualize it um, or understand how it came to be based on. Um, the kind of the, the, the deep dark place that these people are in and the anger that they have and the sadness and the, and the, and the societal messages that they've received. But um, when it comes to something like, 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 a, like a force like Satan, it's the sort of thing that seems to spawn from nowhere. Now, for example, uh, about two and a half months ago, across the county, Westchester County where I live, 46-year-old Tom Liu stabbed his 42-year-old wife, Dorothy, and his seven-year-old and four-year-old children to death, respectively. Um, and then he stabbed himself. Now, he was apparently under, uh, you know, quote-unquote stress, a considerable amount of stress, as some of the news stories quote, but there's no known motive in this. And um, a former business colleague of his literally saw no signs of stress and said, quote, Tom was a very laid-back guy, extremely patient with his kids. And when you look up the dictionary, um, happy, nice couple there in the picture. Close quote. You know, they call this type of crime uh, familicide, and it's rare. Now, demographically, it's almost always carried out by a white, non-Hispanic male. Uh, this male happened to be Asian-American. And the U.S. is actually three times more likely to have it than Canada, eight times more likely than Great Britain, and 15 times more likely than Australia. So, you could say it's a societal problem. There's uh, societal values that are reflected, maybe a gun culture. But it seems that there's something more sinister at play that um, that's hard to just kind of wrap our head around. And there are crimes like this I've heard that seem to reach that, that uh, a level of unfathomable proportions like this one. Uh, there, there were the New York City nanny murders early last decade where some crazed nanny who was in her 50s... Uh, you know, there's nannies all over the place. And having young kids, you really think about, like, who you're putting in the in, uh, your, your children in the care of. But she basically went on a rampage and killed two young kids. Um, and the parents walked in with the third kid while this was happening. And just an awful story. I remember living on the Upper West Side when this happened. Then, of course, there's the Sandy Hook massacre with Adam Lanza as a psychopath, like, literally going in and massacring first graders. I mean, you know, I think these are just on an entirely different level. And I don't know how this evil force might permeate individuals. It doesn't seem all that common, but I believe it may be drawn to the opposite things that attract uh, what we know as, as God or higher power or, or miracles. With this sort of thing, I often think, like, how is somebody capable of this? Like, when I hear of these types of crimes, it's like, how could somebody be driven to do this? Like, it's just, like, so... Such a hard thing to fathom, and you know the, all the stress in the world, and and uh, depression, and um, mental illness uh, doesn't even seem like a, a capable cocktail to drive this sort of thing. 
And in my opinion, the devil doesn't have red horns and a pitchfork the same way that God is in some puppeteer above the clouds, um, you know, emanating a, a ray of light. Now, before you call me crazy, just think about this and be open to the possibility that this paranormal concept might exist in a negative way as well. So Democratic primary talk up next. Okay, let's talk Democratic primary. So before we start, I have done some early outreach of trying to get two different types of guests. Number one, an independent who or moderate voter who has has voted uh, for Democrats, voted for Republicans, uh, who doesn't support Donald Trump. That's voter number – that's person number one I'm trying to get as a guest. Person number two, I'm trying to get a Republican who does. And uh, somebody who, who probably isn't as, as loud and proud about it, maybe not wearing a bumper sticker or a MAGA hat, but somebody who, you know, is a Trump supporter. And um, maybe somebody who's not as uh, obvious to the general public or, or, he or, or his or her daily contacts. Um, but, if, you know, now if you fall into one of these two categories, know anybody who does, please, please, please contact me. Um, if you are somebody I know or, or you know somebody I know, I will personally take you out to a meal at one of my favorite local spots. I'll split your train ticket if you don't live in Westchester County. That's my pitch. All right, take it or leave it. All right, split the train ticket and I'll, I'll buy you a meal. So um, that's kind of my, 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 my outreach. I'm going to try to do a little bit more aggressive outreach as, as, as I try to get these guests on the show coming up. But um, so as far as the primary goes, we've been through two states so far, Iowa and New Hampshire, and uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders are neck and neck. Now, there's still a long way to go. We got the Nevada and South Carolina primaries coming up the next two Saturdays with Super Tuesday, the following Tuesday, March 3rd. Now, what is Super Tuesday? It's uh, over a dozen primary races, including the American Samoas. No bullshit. I didn't even know the, the, that the American Samoas had a primary. Samoas, I mean, just crazy stuff. I, I, I learned that when I was researching the, uh, the Democratic schedule. So... For frame of reference, in 2016, Hillary won Iowa. Bernie Sanders won New Hampshire by a sizable margin. Hillary obviously won the delegates. She won the nomination. But it was a pretty close race. So for me, where am I right now uh, as we're you know, mid-February of 2020? Now, I'm somewhere between Bernie and Bloomberg as far as the two I think I'd be most inclined to vote for. Right? With Bernie edging up Bloomberg slightly. Now, you might think that these are two polar opposites on the end of the democratic spectrum, but those are my two right now, right? I think Bernie has a ton. I, listen, I think both of these guys are capable of beating Trump. They're both capable of going toe-to-toe with him in a, on a debate stage. I don't think he'd want to see either one of them. Now, I think Bernie has a ton of passion. I like what he stands for, principles and values-wise. You know, I don't agree with every one of his policies, uh, but he's not about keeping the status quo, really across the board for anything that doesn't affect progressive values. And for Bloomberg... You know, I really liked him as a mayor of New York City. I think he's a great leader. He has the acumen to make wise, calculated decisions to benefit a body of people. And, uh, you know, Bernie gets shit for being a socialist and Bloomberg gets shit for being a racist and a billionaire. Now, I think the Bernie socialist narrative is a bit overdone because the guy wants health care to be a right and not a privilege. He's a socialist because he wants college to be free and also not a privilege. Listen, it doesn't take away from the fact that you need grades and board scores to get into these good colleges, all right? 
Now, with both of these, I mean, look at the whole Lori Loughlin and uh, Felicity Huffman thing. I mean, look at I mean, look at how privilege just buys your way into shit. So I don't want to hear that this like somehow is going to screw up uh, the university equilibrium. All right. Now, with both of these things, I might want a, a more measured approach than you know free college for everyone or or uh, you know a single payer healthcare system. But his goal is to address marginalized segments of our country and not make success a birthright or a long shot. You know, I will dive more into this over the course of this year, but everyone has to fucking relax on the Bernie socialist is evil narrative and the country's going to be communist. Or I hear, how are we going to pay for it? Well, we managed to spend, you know, nearly $740 billion for defense. I'm sure we can slice up the fiscal pie a little bit differently. Right? Using police or fire departments are socialist technically. You know, we don't pay insurance for our own private police departments. All right, calm down, folks. You know, and if you want to talk about the wealth tax, if you make somewhere in the six or seven figure range, you ain't anywhere near this wealth tax. Even if you're in the, the first third of the eight figure range. So calm down with this whole socialist rhetoric and this fear and what you don't want. You know, we're, we're practically in, in, in an authoritarian fascist state now with uh, the current president. But, but nobody's, nobody's freaking out about that. You're not losing sleep about that if you're not, you're not affecting your little bubble. Now, let's get to Bloomberg, right? He's in favor of some, some sort of wealth tax. Did you know that? You know, those who are, who are these, uh, I'm a Democrat, but I don't want socialism per people in, in New York, uh, or I'm a moderate. Listen, it's more diluted, not going to bullshit you, but he proposes those who make over $5 million in income pay a 5% surtax, which is going to affect you know, a, a percentage of Americans, not as many as Bernie. Um, but it's going to, you know, either way, like you're, if you're listening to this, you're probably not going to be affected. So if you're against the whole concept of Bernie doing this, get educated and realize Bloomberg doesn't want to keep the status quo either. And, uh, you know, Bloomberg is getting some shit on, about comments he made uh, um, targeting minorities for stop and frisk back in 2015. If you hear the recording, it sounds like it was recorded from like some dungeon or underwater someplace on like a submarine. Listen, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said that if you look at 95% of victims and perpetrators of of uh, violent crimes and homicides uh, in New York and other major cities, they are minorities between uh, 16 and 25. And, uh, you know, as a person of color who is mixed race, I'm actually not that offended by that. I'm not offended by that at all. You know, I don't know if I'm if I'm, if I'm uh, tone deaf on this or if I'm missing something. You know I'm how much of a social advocate I am, especially when it comes to racial issues. Um, but I don't find that to be racist. I think there's a lot of outrage culture out there. You know, I think there's a lot of truth behind, behind a statement like that, unfortunately. Now, of course, there are institutional and societal challenges that lay that pathway that need to be addressed, but let's not go delirious over this, right? Bloomberg and Bernie are both viable candidates, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the debates progress and how the primaries progress. And when it comes time for me to vote uh, at the end of April, the April 28th it is, I believe, it's going to be interesting. So... I want to see how this primary plays out. I will vote for any of the Democrats who get the nomination. I like Bloomberg and Bernie the most. I have reservations about Pete. I have reservations about Warren. I don't really know Klobuchar well yet. And I'm out on Biden. Now, before I get to my pop-offs, I have to share an area where this political topic blurs into a little bit of a rant. Now, I mentioned a text thread of Mostly College Buddies that is my most active thread, hands down. 
Now, we talk about all kinds of topics, and we hit on the biggest ones of politics and sports. And um, now I've shared this and given uh, you guys uh, NFL team allegiances on this thread. But on this thread, politically, we have three through-and-through liberals, including myself. There's one moderate liberal. There's one guy who calls himself a Democrat, but it, I think is really a moderate, especially when it comes to fiscal issues. And then there's a guy who brands himself as a moderate, but is a Republican and a couple notches right on the political spectrum. Not much, but a couple notches. Now, none of us are Trump supporters, but there's a little bit of sympathy at times for supporters and sometimes even Trump by the last two guys I mentioned. Now, the last two guys, they call me far left or quote unquote off the grid because Bernie right now is probably my number one candidate. But they ignore the fact that Bloomberg is my number two. You know, get the fuck out of here with this shit. And also ignore all some of the stuff that, um, you know, that, that, that are positions of mine that, that are not as left as others. I mean, you know, I don't lose my mind over stop and frisk in general. I'm okay with some privacy give in order to get a bit more security in society. And I also think our healthcare system sucks, as does our student loan and education stances. But I'm willing to hear a few resolutions rather than embrace the most extreme left ones. Now, I am as left as you can get on guns and immigration. And I think it's disgusting the way that we treat people coming here for refuge. But I am not for, quote unquote, open borders. To me, that puts me firm left, but not the most extreme. You know, talk to my parents if you want to hear far left. Now, my one buddy jokingly called me Karl Marx and said my views were extreme liberalism. And I'd be supporting a socialist or communist regime with no gray area if I support Bernie Sanders. I mean, let's not be hyperbolic. All right. Many of us are closer politically when we stop and look at what we care about and what our end goal is, even if our means to get there are slightly different. You know, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to the way we value money. That's where the differences sometimes lie between Democrat and moderate and, and different degrees of uh, on the spectrum or, or Republican for that matter. I mean, do we see money as abundant or limited? Do we have any do we have fear based systems about like how, how we view the world? I mean, to each their own. You know, a lot of time. You know, that as far as the money question, do we see money as abundant or limited? A lot of time that answer is not related to how much money we make or how big our bank account is. You see billionaires on both sides of the political spectrum. Just an interesting thing to ponder as, as we close out the political topic. So pop-offs coming up next. Pop-off number one. Rant number one. Can Apple correct this whole, quote, Ducking autocorrect? I can't tell you how many times I want to use the word fucking and I get corrected to ducking. I mean, shouldn't the technology folks at Apple create an algorithm, an autocorrect that is a bit smarter than this? I mean, who even uses the word ducking? This wastes my time when I'm in a zone to respond passionately about something. I have to remove ducking two to three times each when I want to use the word fucking. All right? Stop it, please. Fucking F. U-C-K-I-N-G. That is what I want to use, Apple. Adjust. I actually think there is a way to go down, go in there and, and do this, but this should be the default. Pop-off number two. Rant number two. This is about the word baby again. All right, I know the word baby in, in categorizing older kids as babies is something that gets to me. I shared it earlier on last year. And I was a bit oversensitive, perhaps, when my older daughter, Eloise, was called a baby at 20 months or two years, or even two and a half. And while they are technically not babies beyond 18 months or conservatively two, P. 
people can't always judge ages well and this is going to happen when you're considering the, the, the most youthful segment of America or, or society in general. I have to accept that. And I, and I, I also know I put my, my daughter's age progression and I'm going to do this with my second daughter too on a pedestal. And I'm being sensitive to being babied or treated as somebody younger than I am probably still at 38. But we went out for breakfast up in Connecticut the other morning and the waitress while taking drink orders said, oh, and uh, what does the baby want to drink? To which Eloise replied, I want cold water with ice. And she did this while she was stacking half and half creamers on top of each other. No joke. (laughs) Can't make this up. Just the essence of that interaction disqualifies her from being a fucking baby. She is three years and seven months. She's closer to kindergarten than two and closer to second grade than birth. She has hair down her lower back. No more calling her baby. She is our baby, but she is not a baby. Don't be lazy. Pop off number three. Burning question number one. Now, there's a dude who goes to the gym uh, the same time as me during the week. And I, I get up early in the morning and go before my family gets up, before work. I'm usually, I'm usually there between the 6 a.m. and, and, and 7.15 a.m. in that window. There's another guy who comes. Nice guy. Cool guy. His name is Tom. Um, he asked me for spots on the bench sometimes uh, and getting to know him on a small talk level. He's also a dad. He has two young kids in the zero to four range. Uh, I think he works in finance. He drives a Beamer. Okay, fine. It's a sedan. I've seen his car in the gym. Um, but, you know, looking at the car, I mean, where are the car seats, Tom? Now, how can you be a dad to a baby and a toddler slash preschooler without a car seat? You know, I don't care if you're the breadwinner. You know, there's no scenario going to or coming back from work where you don't have to at least pick up one of your kids. You know, I, I, I mean, I don't, even if you have like three cars, which I, I, I got to believe this, this, this guy has maybe two cars between him and his, and his wife. I, you know, I can't randomly just ask him this, but I, I'm going to go see if I can get this out of him as far as his car situation. It just strikes me a bit peculiar, no? Tom, where's the other, where are the car seats? I believe that you have kids. Where the hell are the car seats? Pop-off number four. Hot take number one. Listen, handshakes need to be two seconds or less in 95% of cases. And speaking of the gym, I've shared about this guy before. We're going to call him Jimmy Mack. All right? From my gym, mid-50s, seems like we have very little in common. All right? The only reason I know him is he introduced himself to me at the gym for having seen me around town which isn't all that much of an anomaly. I mean, most of the people at my gym are from the same town or two-town or three-town radius. Now, my wife thinks he has a crush on me. He's married with like three or four kids. Uh, typical for our area to have, to have like that many kids. But we saw him the other day when it's in uh, CVS. We're getting Valentine's Day cards, Jen and I, for each other. And he's, you know, he's just, it's just, he goes out of his way in, in this awkward way to say hi every time. You know, like in a way that like if, if it's one of my like closest friends who I chill with and hang out with all the time, I barely even freaking talk to this guy. You know, his handshakes just in general, they hold on for just a bit too long. You know, a handshake, unless you're congratulating me for winning the Pulitzer Prize, selling my company for seven figures or winning the lottery, you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi tops. All right, that's it. Once again, keep handshakes limited to two seconds or less, and the more casual the relationship, the shorter the fucking handshake. Pop off number five. This is a rant. 
It's so sad when people will come and greet your dog without even acknowledging you as the owner. It's really fucking sad. I mean, this happened to me a lot in the city when you, you come across dozens of people every walk. But it happened to me this past weekend in, in uh, Connecticut when we brought Bruno up to our dog-friendly resort that I shared about at the beginning of the episode. Listen, I love animals. And as an evolved species, as, as human beings, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I use that term very cautiously because many people aren't evolved, but we owe them compassion and care in a similar way that we nurture our younger population of babies and toddlers and little kids. Um, by the way, people pull the same shit with babies and toddlers and kids, and it's fucking weird. They like, oh, you know, go out of their way to engage with them and don't really engage with the parents. And if you want to interact with a part of my family, kid, family, I mean, uh, kid, baby, canine, feline, whatever, at least say a few fucking words to me. Pop off number six. Hot take. When you're over the age of 22, past college, more than two adult men in a vehicle is menacing. All right? This came up as I had dinner uh, last week with, 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 a, with a couple of fellow dads and a few, two buddies in the area. And we all met at a local bar and restaurant that we like. Now, we're talking about doing it again soon, doing it periodically. A place we are considering now is at least a 10, 15-minute drive for, for each of us. So I suggested carpooling. Now, while we're still going to do it, I think even, you know, even considering the yuppie professional dad demographic we're in, three or four, four dudes in a car is shady. I even think in college or high school, it still has elements of being threatening. But society accepts kids as little shits that in most demographics aren't going to hurt anybody and it might wor- at worst might egg a mailbox or shout expletives out of the car. But think about it. If you got an accident at 9 p.m. on a road and the other car was full of uh, three or four 35 to 40-year-old dudes, you'd be a little skittish, right? Shit, I would. So in conclusion, if you're over the age of 30, over the age of 22 and you are a group of dude friends, you got to think twice when you're deciding whether or not to carpool. Pop off number seven, rant. So I was in the elevator the other, uh, the other day. We were in our uh, on our Connecticut uh, quick get getaway that I shared about, and uh, I was going back and forth from our hotel room to the car as the dad loading it up before I slept the family down. And uh, two women in their fifties or sixties carrying cups of coffee got on the elevator, and one of them proceeded to say to me, third floor, please." And reflexively, I pressed the button. But about two seconds later in my head, I was like, uh, wait a second. What the fuck? Am I a bellhop? You know, there was a clear path to the buttons. It wasn't like it was a crowded elevator. They were in the back and I was in the front. And these women both had a free hand each. So as I left to, to go to my floor, I was so angry. I felt myself like furious. And I had a George Costanza moment where, you know, he thought about what he would say to the guy in the whole jerk store called the running out of you comeback. I eventually let it go, but boy, does it speak to the entitlement of people. Pop off number eight. Hot take. Now, with the election coming up, one thing you hear from people is, oh, well, if you want to make a difference, do a tangible action like knocking on doors or canvassing an area. Man, fuck that. I think this is an overrated cliche thing that to do, and people get self-righteous about it. I'm not saying it's not effective, but, but like... You mean to tell me knocking on the door of dozens of strangers convincing them why your preferred presidential candidate or local congressman, who they don't know by name or face is the right person they should go vote for on election day? 
Listen, it's one thing if you're running for office, it's particularly local office. You got to do that. It's part of the job. But if you're just a person who wants to make a difference in an election, make some phone calls. You know, call people that you know. You know, people say social media doesn't make a difference, but why is it any less of an effective strategy to post a message and maybe a subset of moderate or independent voters see it and two or a handful or, or a handful are influenced by what you say? You know, make a few phone calls. What might be more effective than all of this would be go find a half a dozen independent slash moderate voters that are in your social circle, buy them a slice of pizza, a salad, a coffee, and talk to them about politics or call them up on the phone. You know, I'm sure I will use a social media platform at some point in this election season to make a point about something I'm passionate about. And I will for sure take advantage of this broadcasting platform. But I'm going to try my lunch or coffee suggestion with moderates. So my hot take is if people get self-righteous about knocking on doors, tell them to fuck off and there's more than one way to skin a cat. Thanks for listening to the Chris Ham Podcast. Please follow me on Twitter, at Chris N. Ham. Your support and feedback is incredibly valuable as I grow this podcast. So please tell me what you like, what you don't like, and feel free to suggest topic ideas. Take it easy, friends. Be well.